0: Booster is excited to support DIA Schools Collaborative on furthering the missions of our respective organizations through Follow to Lead podcast and other DIA programming. Visit choosebooster.com for details on Booster's school fundraising events, technology, and customized spirit gear. Booster can help your Catholic school meet and exceed its fundraising goals. Learn more today. Welcome to Follow to Lead,
1: Amen. Christ the teacher, teach us to listen. Teach us to do the deep listening to the sounds of our soul, waiting to hear your voice, calling us to cast out deeper, to become fishers of men and women, shepherds of souls, to follow your will in order to lead others to the truth, beauty, and goodness only you can offer. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, welcome to Follow to Lead, a journey twice a month into the world of Catholic education, exploring what it means to follow God in order to lead others to Him. I'm Father Randy Sly, your host. And today, we're going to be talking with Pat Reedy, who is the Vice President of Mission and Faith at J. Sarah High School in Orange County, California. Now, Pat joined J. Sarah back in 2014, after teaching Spanish and theology for 12 years in Catholic high schools in Texas and Chicago, while also serving in some key school leadership roles. He currently oversees Catholic identity and mission at J. Sarah and directs student staff and parent formation. He has a bachelor's degree in computer science and math from St. Norbert College, a bachelor bachelor of philosophy from St. John Vianney Seminary, a master's in Spanish literature from Indiana University, and a master's in Catholic educational leadership from the University of Notre Dame. And in addition to his role at J. Sarah, he has spent over the last 15 years a great deal of time in serving the broader Catholic community as a presenter on St. John Paul II's Theology of the Body. So, Pat, welcome to the program.
2: Thanks, Father. It's great to be here.
1: And uh, you know, one of the things we love to do at the beginning of the program is just give our guests an opportunity to kind of get to know you a little bit better. And so, could you? I- I'm guessing you're not from California originally, so maybe you could give us a little bit of background on your upbringing.
2: Boy, did the accent already give it away? The accent, <laughs> <bar>? accent, yeah, <laughs> yeah. You're right. I'm not from California originally. I-, I grew up in the Chicago area, so I spent most of my life there. Although. Early on, my grad work and then some of the ministry work I was involved with took me to a lot of cities in the country. I lived in Indianapolis and St. Paul, Minnesota. I lived in Green Bay, Wisconsin. I lived in Dallas, Texas. I lived in Denver, Colorado. I eventually, I was in the seminary for five years studying under Archbishop Chaput in Denver. And that's how I got into Theology of the Body work. I was there right when Christopher West was launching. Nobody knew who he was back then. Uh
0: Nobody
2: knew what the theology was was back then now it's a i'm glad to know it's a household name and then i made my way to chicago got back into teaching and my current boss became my boss when i was in chicago and we worked together had a great rapport and that's what eventually led me out to california maybe one fun fact about me is that i'm a late vocation to marriage so i got married five and a half years ago and that i won't give my age away but that was quite late quite uh-huh. above the national coverage, say. <laughs> and my beautiful wife is from Mexico. So our first language at home is Spanish, which is sort of a sort of a fun thing to uh, share with people.
1: Well, that's neat. And of course, you having a Spanish degree and actually a master's in literature, it makes it a, a, a no brainer that that works out well in the home.
2: Yeah, yeah, that was that was the hook. It must have been the Spanish speaking and the dancing. It wasn't the looks.
1: <laughs> well, we won't ask about the dancing on the program. We'll, we'll kind of leave that for another time, for sure. I'm intrigued about your involvement with Theology of the Body. Is that something that you do for, like, parishes as a, a weekend mission?
2: Yeah, so it's, it's it's taken a lot of different forms. When I was in Chicago, needless to say, as I mentioned before, I met Christopher West in Denver. I had a, spent a lot of time with them, and that was my introduction to the work. I'm read read it a couple times. I can actually say I've read I've actually read it a couple times, and then I I helped a priest by the name of Father Thomas Loya launch an apostolate by the name of the Tabor Life Institute, and mm-hmm. Father Tom d- does a lot of speaking around the country as a couple radio programs, so that's where I started doing most of my speaking. Of course, I, I was honing the craft in the theology classroom, so that gave sure. me a great forum to to to, to practice right and to uh-huh. see. If um, how this was landing on young people, and so that's when I started speaking. And I just like you said, I do parish missions or go around to mainly mainly to churches would hire uh-huh. me to come and give a talk or a series of talks. And and eventually, because of my Latin American connections, I got a chance to go to Mexico and then to Lima, Peru. I ended up going to Lima, Peru six or seven summers in a row, and and I would do. Two or three weeks worth of worth of talks, a couple a night usually, and at at local parishes, at the seminary, at different schools. So uh, it's taken a lot of different forms. I had a chance to to teach as an adjunct at St. John Vianney Seminary and pay back so much of what they gave me. Mm-hmm. I did that their first year, sort of their they have a you might call it a diocesan novitiate program. They call it their spirituality year. A, mm-hmm. a, Pope year is the technical term, canonical, right. right? So I did that for nine or 10 years, gave them a, a week-long course. And then now I'm I, very busy, so I try to teach most of my Theology of the Body to those who are here on campus, either in class or uh-huh. forming our teachers, our theology teachers, forming our net missionaries who come in so that they have it in their wheelhouse when they have to talk about issues of human sexuality with teens. And I still do a one-off talk here and there.
1: Okay, very good. And you've had, if I can do the math, you've got about 20 years of experience in Catholic education, and with seminary and all of these different things going on in your early life, what was the main influence that had you cho- choose this path of, of moving into Catholic education?
2: You know, I, I always loved academia, and, uh-huh. and when I really committed fully to my baptism back in, in my early 20s, 22, 23, I had a dilemma and really, I had what I thought was a fork in the road, because I wanted to give my life totally to Christ in really direct ministry for the church in some way. So I, I saw myself in some type of a full-time apostolate, but I was, I was always a lover of learning and I did well in school and teaching just came very natural to me. And I, I've always felt very alive in front mm-hmm. of students in the classroom. And so I wasn't really sure for many years how to find the right the, the right marriage between those two. And so as providence would have it, and the Lord often makes us wait for good things, as he did in my life. When my, my current boss moved from my school in Chicago out here to take the J. Sarah job, he saw the need really, I guess I'd say, he saw the need kind of like a head basketball coach has a need for a right-hand man.
1: Uh-huh.
2: It's, wow, this is a big school. I cannot perpetuate the school's mission faithfully by myself and he kind of crafted this vice president of mission and faith position and so it's really been the best of both worlds for me father Mm -hmm. i'm involved in, in scholasticism to the degree that i'm in a school but i'm also almost some people call me a lay rector and that's not really appropriate but but i guess it's it's an easy way for people to get their mind around what i do right it's a it's a combination of both ministry and academ- academics.
1: Well, one of the things that, that brings to mind is, and you've heard Kyle Piantonio talk about this, that school as parish. You know, that really, in a sense, there is a pastoral dimension that's involved in a school, not just with students and with teachers, but also with the families.
2: Yes, you're right. Yeah, you're right. There, there has to be. There has to be. I think Kyle is correct in his assessment, right? School as parish. And there are are a lot of ways we can think about that. One of the ways we can think about it is, I remember having this conversation years ago with our leadership team. We were talking about the desire and what we think is really the need to offer formation for parents on on many levels. Mm -hmm. And I remember someone expressed a little bit of a doubt, and I don't don't blame the person who said, you know, we're a school, and that sounds like the type of thing That a church should be doing and i I totally agree with that but my i guess my my rejoinder would be a no one's going to church anymore right Mm -hmm. um and b we we have to get to our families and make sure that they're formed in the the christian mindset if we're going to have an effective and enduring and long lasting impact on their sons and daughters because if the parents aren't formed then what we're teaching their sons and daughters at school can be undone pretty quickly. Right? Right. Every they get home.
1: Well, I think that that it's it's a viable ministry for schools. I think it it doesn't compete with parishes. I think it subsidizes what parishes can offer. But at the same time, the school is a natural resource for learning, and you don't even have to go far outside your walls to find great resources for parents, you know, in terms of the teachers and administrators that can offer some great insight for families. And so I I think that's a a great aspect to work in. In fact, that was one of my dreams at St. Michael and that, uh, unfortunately, in my tenure, I was not able to do, but I'm hoping that that will be a part of St. Michael's for the future. It is a more intentional parents formation. We have other act- we have events and activities for parents, but nothing that really is as formative as what I could envision and what you're talking about. And we're talking about mission today. That's one of the things I wanted to really pick your brain about. And we hear that term a lot right now in Catholic education: the need to be mission-driven, to be a mission-centered school. What does what does that term actually mean?
2: Yeah. Yeah, it's a, it's a great question, right? Because it is used a lot, not only in Catholic circles, but it's used in just about every business around the country now too, right? Right. That every business has their own mission statement. and They want mission-minded people. Well, maybe the best way I've heard it recently is, is in this, this quote, which is that the Catholic schools don't have a mission. The mission has Catholic schools. In other words, the church has a mission to bring the gospel of Jesus Christ to every human being on earth and one of the primary means by which it can affect that mission is through catholic schools it's actually the the ultimate reason why catholic schools are in existence and and we're we're doing a couple things at the same time right we we have to make sure that we're that we're being effective in the way that we form students intellectually right we we do have an academic component that is at the front and center. So if we're if we're not strong with academics, I think we're not going to draw people in and we're going to fail in one of our primary missions. But I'd say there's there's a parallel and even a, a higher goal for Catholic schools. And it's the reason we were founded, and that's to disciple young people and, right. and bring them into an encounter with Jesus Christ. So when we say Catholic schools have a mission, I would always point to that that twofold aspect that yes we're, we're about the work of intellectual development, but that intellectual development has end of helping young people as as we would say, as the ancients would say, in freeing them from any assumptions or worldviews that wouldn't allow them to have a full encounter with Christ so that so that they can live the fulfillment that He wants for each one of
1: us. And When I'm thinking of mission statements and and that kind of thing in a Catholic school environment, it, it really does begin with having an actual statement, doesn't it? I mean, you've got to have something that is, you know, I've seen it on websites for companies as well as for schools, as you pointed out. Some mission statements are long, others are short. And they're a reminder of what it is that we're supposed to do. How would you describe establishing a good mission statement for a school?
2: Yeah, I think the mission statement wants to be, it needs to be long enough that you can articulate your fundamental purpose, but it needs to be short enough that it doesn't require, it's not something that can't be memorized. That's the way I put it, right? Mm-hmm. There, there's a school in Northern California that's a lot like J. Sarah that I really admire. And they recently, this summer, went through a whole mission repurpose phase. And this is what they landed on. Their mission statement is to bring students to Jesus Christ. And I think that is a pretty bold way of expressing what, what our ultimate purpose is. Right? That right. We're here, to, we're here to, to foster as many opportunities for an encounter with Christ as possible and it can't be just in the theology classroom or in the campus ministry department. It really needs to be across the board with every person that they touch and every program that they, they come into contact with.
1: Yeah, there's a, a phrase that I hear a lot in our Duke and Altum schools kind of sphere, and that's the word faith first. That when we're talking about mission, I mean, you can have a mission and and faith not even be a part of it. It's true. But it's true. but what we're talking in Catholic education is that faith needs to be a, a center or a key component then.
2: Yeah, that's true, Father. You know this, having worked in schools yourself, and, and it, I, I think there are a couple extremes that we sometimes run into with Catholic schools. One is that the, the school really focuses on great academics, discipline, really competitive athletics, and the faith piece is there. But sometimes it's relegated to it's it's it takes sort of a backseat or maybe to give it a, a visual. The, you stick people in the religion classroom who go to mass on Sundays. And that's really the only the first and only criterion, Right. If that's that because you just have to kind of cross that 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 T. Right. Or check that box on the list. The, the other extreme sometimes we see. And, and I'm not denigrating this extreme at all, because I think there's a place for one about to say. But it's the school that sort of is small and closed in on itself and says, all right, we're going to be all about faith. And the, the athletic piece isn't as important yet. Hopefully the academic piece is. The athletic piece is not important because we want to focus on formation. And that's really important. And there's a place for that. And I think many Catholic educators are called to that type of a school, as are many families. Mm-hmm. What J. Sarah and what the DIA schools are attempting to do is a hybrid of that. We're trying to be, as as Kyle says, faith first, without negating the need for excellence in both academics and athletics. We're we're basically taking the approach to Catholic education. God deserves the best of ourselves in everything. So we want to form the person. You know, you you often hear Catholic schools talk about holistic education, right, integrated education, the physical, emotional, social, intellectual, and spiritual well-being of students. Well, I think what DIA is trying to do is say, you know, it's possible for schools to be clicking on all cylinders across every one of those domains. Right. It's even possible to be in a place like like a big city, a place like Orange County, where people aren't necessarily choosing a Catholic school because they want the faith or they put the faith first. They may be choosing it because it's, it looks good on a resume to say you went to a private school, or maybe there's a bit of a status symbol to t- telling your your peers that your kids go to a private school. We're trying to be unabashed about the fact that when we say faith first, we really mean it. Like, we take all these areas seriously, but we take faith most seriously, and, and we want to be clear about that from the get-go.
1: Mm-hmm. Now, when we have a, a mission statement, I mean— you can put it on your website. It becomes kind of almost like a little longer slogan. At St. Michael, ours was to know truth, love God, and serve others as Jesus Christ's faithful and humble disciples. And, you know, I, I think that, again, it's succinct, but it kind of makes the point. But you've got a mission statement. What do you do with it in a school? What do you do with it, it other than just have it there for people to look at?
2: Yeah. Sure. Yeah. You know, that is something to reference on the website every once in a while. Right. Um, Yeah. Well, you don't have to quiz everybody on it. Right. I did talk about it being memorizable, but I don't think quiz people on it. That might be going a little bit too far. (laughs) But Jay Sarah can probably take some cues from some other great schools around the country on this, too. As you're asking the question, I'm I'm saying to myself, with all transparency, wow, are we are are we doing enough with our mission statement? Uh huh. Um, I'll tell you, we do a few things with it, and, and we've got a lot of room to grow, but we, are, we, of course, have the mission statement in every classroom and every office um, around, around campus. But we also are very intentional, both in our staff onboarding, but also anytime we get the whole staff together for in-services or, or other all-staff meetings, that we put our mission statement up on, on a screen and we make some reference to it even if it's just a 5 or 8 minute exploration of a couple points <clears throat> and i think that's really important and you're you're intimating this in your question right father that if you never make reference to it uh, again even if people know implicitly you're trying to live by it they they ask how much importance it really has right i know some schools do something like use their mission statement as part of their their staff evaluation process so when each teacher and each staff member is going through their, whether it's a 90-day eval or the end of the year eval, they're asked to rate themselves on a, a, in, a, in ways that correspond to their performance according to mission. Right? Mm-hmm. Um, we don't do that with our mission statement per se, but we have, if someone were on our website, they'd see we have some, some other ways to drive mission that transcend the mission statement, which is, for example, we have something called our five pillars of excellence. And those are just five virtues that we expect every staff member to be striving to master. Right, that we're Christ-centered, that we're positive and joyful, mm-hmm. that we're animus, that we're team-oriented, and that we're professionally adept. And those take very key place in our evaluation process. And we're and we're trying to find more and more ways to fold that into the conversations that we have on a regular basis, so that. Our mission, and I would call our five pillars one of the ways maybe that you can we concretize our mission statement, right, and make it more palatable for people. We we don't want that just to be a poster on the wall. We want it to be something that people actually are reflecting on in their personal and professional lives, and we and we do that by by bringing it into those regular conversations.
1: I know that one of the times at St. Michael, we had a, a suggestion from some of our students of an activity that they thought would be fun for the school to do. And it would be become a part of our regular routine. But the big question we asked was, how does that fit our mission statement? If we do this event, how does that bring about a fulfillment of what our mission is as a school? And uh, I remember one, one of these activities that was brought to my desk, I finally said, you know, I don't see this as being in any way, shape or form part of our mission. It it doesn't fit. And we ended up not doing it. Kind of speak to that a little bit.
2: Yes, I think your mission statement, if you're going to be a Catholic school that's really faithful to what we've been called to be in Christ, right? Then the mission statement has to be your North Star. And you're you're I think schools that do what you're saying are, are doing the right thing. Where and when you're sitting around, the, the whether it's your leadership team or your admin, or really, if, if you're doing things super well, and again, I'm, I'm, I'm reflecting on my own school as I'm asking myself these questions. Yeah. I'm doing elastic examination of conscience here, right? Wow, are we really doing this? Hey, Reedy, you practice what you preach, right? If we're doing things really well, then you're finding ways to, to get that idea to permeate into all the, the, all the other levels of leadership at the school, right? Your athletic department and each of your disciplines, your academic disciplines, so that your chairs have this vision as well. And and I think that is the right question to ask in, in, in the face of anything you're discerning for the school. I mean, the ultimate question is, I would say not only does this fit in with our mission, but how does this advance our mission? Mm-hmm. And that could be as concrete as we want to build, a, we've got one building and we want to build a second building. And You should ask, well, how does this advance our mission? Well, it can advance our mission because it allows us to have more students in our classroom and we can bring the gospel to more families. Well, that certainly is justification for raising money to build a new building. Or it could be a question about whether or not we should read this book as part of our canon of of English texts. Um, The question should be, all right, how does this build into our mission? And does it or does not? Does it mm-hmm. not? That's, that, that should be a constant inflection point for us as leaders.
1: So, one of the things you intimated is that that one school that you were talking about they looked at their mission statement and kind of did some revamping. Is is that something that should be recommended to schools periodically, especially for the board to just kind of revisit and maybe streamline it a little bit?
2: Yeah, I think it's always important, right, that we kick the tires, as they say, right. That every year we're walking in the car and asking ourselves, okay, how are, how are we doing? And we like to we like to use the word enhance. Right? We're never we're never going to fully arrive at being the optimal Catholic school. So how can we enhance what we're already doing? The mission statement is certainly something that should, should you should take a look at. I would say, unlike certain programs in your school, you're probably not asking yourself every year if you should rewrite your mission statement. I think right. We should look at those maybe more like we look at textbooks and say, okay, this is our mission statement for the next five or six years. But I do think a healthy board and an admin is going to look at a mission statement every five or six years and say, okay, and does this still articulate clearly and accurately who we are and what we're about as a school? Or do we need to make some slight modifications? In the case of this school in Northern California, they made a they made a huge modification in the language, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. didn't make a modification at all in their mission. Maybe it's, maybe an analogy is the way the church would declare a dogma that has existed for many centuries, but hasn't been expressly articulated, right? I think that school said, hey, listen, let's just get down to brass tacks. Like, there's a lot of fluffy language right now in our mission statement, and we're kind of dancing around the issue. Who are we and what do we do? Let's just be succinct. And so in that case, I feel like they, 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 they improved their mission statement by synthesizing it in a shorter, more pithy statement, right?
1: Mm-hmm. Now, I know that your experience goes way beyond J. Sarah to the other schools that you've worked in. If, if one of our audience is a, a teacher or an administrator in a school where there really isn't a strong faith mission and they really have a burden for that, do you have any suggestions on what they might be able to do?
2: Are you talking about an administrator or or a teacher staff member?
1: Well, let's start with an administrator. I know those are both two different reaches, the derbs of what we're talking about.
2: (laughs) They are one's a little more complicated than the other. Yeah. Um, I'm sure there are people listening who are in those shoes. And that's that's actually a privileged place to be in. I think we're in, and this is DIA's mission, right? I think the mission is to help schools, who want to enhance their, their mission-centeredness, join a network of people who are, who are doing the same thing. And, you know, just like the spiritual life itself, there's always someone higher up the mountain than we are and someone below us that we're, someone pulling us up and someone we're pulling up, right? So that's how we see DIA. So I, I think it's, it's an extraordinary opportunity if you're an administrator at a Catholic school and you don't have a mission statement that articulates the, the heart of what Christ wants from us the way you, the way it could, that you, you're in the pole position to make this happen, right? And actually, it's it's your responsibility to to, to enter into an, a process of inquiry. Okay, let's look at our mission statement and let's let's take another stab at it. Um, and I would hope that a, a healthy board of directors would be open to that, right? But I would encourage an administrator to start that conversation with the board, and and maybe based on some of the, the conversation we already had it always helps to to come in humbly and to come in with a why, right? Mm-hmm. And understanding, okay, what is the person purpose of a mission statement? What is our cause a Catholic school? And then looking at maybe a mission gap. Mm-hmm. So we know we're called to to this, but when I look at our mission statement, I'm not sure it really articulates this. that's a that's a great starting point for administrator to show the board. Hey, you know what it, when I read this, I, I see a little bit of a mission gap. And I'd like to propose that this year we make one of our top priorities, revisiting how we articulate mission. You know, sometimes you look at a Catholic school mission statement, and this is a good litmus test, Father. You can do this at, at any Catholic organization, but you know, if you take the name of the school off of it, or if you take the word Catholic out of the mission statement and you read it, is there anything else in the statement that would indicate to someone reading it for the first time that this is a Catholic organization you're talking about in a school. Mm-hmm. If the answer to either of those is no, that is a good indication that you, you, can, you can come up with something that is more, a more poignant articulation.
1: I think one of the things that I, I like that you also mentioned is sometimes it's really good to be with a network of individuals who are like-minded that can share with you and help you in the midst of going through something like that. I remember my first Duke and Altum summit when it was at St. James many years ago. And I remember going after the very first session, going up to one of the other presidents and saying, where do I sign up? Yeah. Yeah. This, this is so cool to be with other people that have the same heart that I do. And, and, you know, obviously it went into a membership mode not too long after that, which I was so thankful for. But it was so good to be with other like-hearted, like-minded people.
2: Yeah, I, I totally agree. I'm, I'm I'm looking at you and thinking, you know, our our relationship can be explained in the same way, right? Just what incredible friendships we've been able to form through Duke and help them. It's right. the thing that most people say they're they're grateful for about being some particip- participants excuse me, participants at one level or another. You know, I, I'm same thing. Anecdotally, I'm thinking about my first. I would. I attended the second conference, and I had a similar reaction. and And it was funny because a bunch of us were sitting around a table in Atlanta, and the Father Paul Koska, who's our chaplain, who's who's the founder of Dia, he's the one who conceived of it. He he looked at us after we had about a forty five minute kind of robust conversation. That was also, you know, in we had good rapport and we you know we were having a good time together and laughing at each other's jokes. But we're also addressing really high level school issues and he said you know what we really need to formalize this this is this is great but more people need to be a part of this and and a year later we had a 501c3 and i remember those those first board meetings total full disclosure for the audience father we were sitting around and we already had a hundred schools attending conferences saying hey we want more we want more and we look at each other table and say what what are we going to give people like we're, we have full-time jobs already like what do you yeah <laughs> yeah but I, but i think what what people wanted more of is to be part of this type of fellowship we don't have to reinvent the wheel and iron sharpens iron and right so when you meet someone like like you and i have met each other who you know is totally sold out for jesus christ and for the mission of catholic schools and is especially someone who's maybe has a few years on you and have, has gone through the ringer. You, you just want to sit at the person's feet and learn. And, and one thing I think, I think people have, who are listening who have been to the conferences will, will agree with, um, when you get to the conferences, you come with some of your problems and you realize that, wow, everybody in Catholic education is going through the same thing. Right. you are dealing how you discipline in a way that is really dignified. You're asking yourself, what do you do? With some of the hot button issues right now. How do you how do you teach about them? How do you address them when they're transgressed? You're asking questions about how you form a good board and how do you fundraise and how do you increase your retention of of teachers and students and how do you get great families at the school? Right? We're all asking the same questions. And a lot of times you realize people have done people have just done the same thing you do. It's trial, trial and error, right? They've said, mm-hmm. you know what? We tried this, it didn't work. We tried this, it didn't work. And we tried this, and it's going a lot better. And you go, yeah, you know what? We tried the same things. Hey, that's a really good idea. I think something like that might work at our school. And it's that sort of communion together that right. generates these great ideas. And and I think that's what makes it most fruitful.
1: Okay, let's let's talk about a teacher now, because that's a whole different level on the on the food chain at the school. Can a teacher become a change agent for the area of mission?
2: Wow, it's you're putting me on the hot seat no it's, <laughs> yeah no, it's, it's it's a great it's a great question. Um, you know, it's it's more of a challenge if you're a teacher. I think many teachers know this, but but i I've seen it happen. So my answer is yes. a, a teacher can be an agent for great change in a school. and it in some school schools, it's it's easier said than done. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but not impossible. And I, and I'm going to, I'm thinking of an anecdote. We had a young woman, maybe our second or third year of D it was the year that Jay Sarah first hosted the conference. And we had a young woman from the East coast come out here. She was a theology teacher and she came out here for the conference because she was in a school where she was a super, um, super devout Catholic woman and was able to be herself in the classroom but she realized she was a bit at, at odds with her own Catholic worldview with the administration. She asked if she could visit our school a second time, and, and, and we're just one of many in DIA that she could have visited. But she came out, sat in on some theology classes, had some conversation over a couple of days, went back in her school. And in her school, she eventually, because of her zeal, because of her faithfulness, and because of her creativity and trying to generate ideas and think outside of her department, her administration eventually recognized that and opened up doors for for some of her ideas to be implemented. And and I say that because I want to encourage people who are young people who are teachers, in schools where maybe they feel that the administration isn't as open to some of the some of their creativity as as he, as the teacher would like mm-hmm. them. To. I I think just like the just like the widow in the gospel, you know, there's a reason the Lord gave us that story, right? Who kept knocking and knocking at, at the judge's door what good, good leaders want to see people who have energy have passion for the mission and a person even even if they don't always agree with your ideas if they see that you you're the type of person who won't quit and if they see that you're the person, type of person who has the the interest of the whole school at heart eventually eventually they're going to want to find a place for you right because not everybody has that type of zeal and that type of zeal is hard to resist so I want to I want to encourage people out there to keep praying about their situation, but to continue to be in, in a way that's charitable, in a way that's respectful of, of those who are in authority above them, but to keep knocking on that door because eventually it's going to open.
1: I think that's great advice. And, and I love the fact that there is that opportunity to become a change agent. It starts in your classroom, perhaps, and that's where you first put the seedbed of what you hope can be accomplished. And then Faithfully, just keep gently, you know, encouraging people toward that direction. And of course, that brings me to a shameless plug for the Duke and Altam Schools Summit, which is coming up next month. Away, and, uh, yeah, uh, because I think for uh, teachers, for administrators, wherever you are, you can come and be filled not only with strategy, but with hope and with like-minded people around. There are stories that can help you in your environment, and so I know that Jay Sarah is the host again this year. Kind of give us a little bit of a preview of what what you see going on this year at the Summit.
2: Boy, you don't want to sound like a cliche. The Summit gets better every year, right? But but in many ways, I think it does because this fellowship keeps growing and getting stronger, and that's really the heart of what happens when we get together. It's the sharing of ideas. But we also have some great speakers lined up. So we've got Christopher Kazor from up here in in Los Angeles, who's going to speak to us. Who's a a, a phenomenal author and speaker. Um, We've got Mary Rice Hassan. Boy, if you're listening and you haven't heard her speak, you really need to hear her speak. She's a fellow at the Ethics and Public Policy Center out in Washington, D.C., which Ryan Anderson, of course, is president of now. But Mary's spoken a couple times in the past at the conference, and she's going to be giving the the opening keynote this year on the topic of transgenderism, something that all of us are involved in at our schools, and she's got great insights and a real, I think, gentle pastoral touch. And we've got some incredible breakouts, too. Father Claude Williams, who is going to be returning, he gave a great talk on, on racism in America last year and on some great leaders who, addressed, who have been addressing that in the country. He's going to do a breakout, a follow-up breakout on that topic. We've got Dr. Anthony Lillis, who's taught at the, the seminary in Denver, the seminary right. in Camerillo. Now he's at St. Patrick's in Menlo Park. He's going to speak to us. We've got Jared Stoud and Aubrey Cilelli from the Archdi- the Office of Catholic Schools in the Archdiocese of Denver. They are doing incredible work in the space of creating Catholic worldview as the foundational mindset in all of their schools. A couple of us actually went out and attended their conference this last summer. They, they were kind enough, kind enough to let us sit in on it. And so they're going to come out and give a breakout. So I, I'm really excited about the not only the variety, but the, the high-level thinking that's going to be going on at the conference this year. And I encourage anyone, whether you've been in the past or you've never been, to try to make it out to Southern California this year. And that's, that's not a bad place to get a paid vacation either from your employer, right? Southern California, so I would make that pitch.
1: Yeah, and you also can get a pilgrimage out of it.
2: You can, you can. And maybe you can say something about the pilgrimage that's going to be on the back end.
1: Yeah, the pilgrimage is going to take you through some of the sites that where St. Junipero Serra established missions up and down California, which is an amazing thing. I know for me, one of the most amazing, amazing experience. I hate to keep using that word amazing, but I can remember driving up the five from San Diego and it was when flowers were in, in bloom and the mustard plants were just yellow going up the, and that's how Junipero Serra, you know, established the, the trails between his missions. And so you could kind of follow the trails and see the signs for the missions along the way, which is amazing. Of course, you're right around the corner from San Juan Capistrano. Uh, and I can tell you as a priest, that's a tough place to go as a priest because you end up spending time outside the gift shop blessing everything that people buy there. So
2: <laughs> and that's one-posh gift shop. Father, you sound like a Southern Californian by your use of the five, right? As, yeah. as we out here. But you're right. And you must have been here in a unique time too because it, the song is true. It doesn't rain in Southern California. It almost never rains, at mm-hmm. least not enough to get mustard seed. So in my eight and a half years here, I've only had two winters where there's been enough rain for the mustard seed to grow. But but that is the legend around San Uniprocera. And um, we are in San Juan Capistrano. We're a mile, we're actually, walking distance from the San Juan Capistrano Mission and Mission Basilica. That's the seventh of the nine missions that Saint Uniprocera started, founded. And we're also about a 25 minute drive from the new Saint Michael's Abbey in Silverado Canyon. Oh wow. And Priests built a new abbey last year and boy it's hard it's hard not to be superlative when you talk about this abbey it is one of the greatest things that's happened in the church in the United States in the last 100 years i don't want to use hyperbole but i really believe that um, if you if someone blindfolded you and took you up there and then just and took up the blindfold in the parking lot you would think you you were just put in a time machine and you woke up in the 13th century in, in Europe. It is oh, wow. absolutely spectacular, this monastery. So that's part of the pilgrimage as well. So I, I hope people can make it out here in uh, from October 19th to 21st. Those are the dates of the of this year's eighth DIA summit.
1: Is there a plan to record this year some of the sessions so for later distribution?
2: Mm-hmm. Yes. We always record the keynote the keynote talks and conferences. So we'll be doing that. This year, there are five or six of those. And so those will be posted on our website after the conference. So you can you can plug in if you didn't get a chance to get out here.
1: Okay, very good. And for our audience, if you're interested in more details, you can just go to diaschools.org. And then under you can go to the summit under events and okay. uh, be able to have an opportunity to to register. It is really going to be another amazing, again, there I am with that word, Amazing event, because a lot of resources, just those names that you have shared and others that I know of that, that are going to be a part. And I think just the casual conversation around the campus is worth twice the cost, just the resources and friendships that you build.
2: I agree. I agree. Yeah, it's really the networking is is the, the sort of the bread and butter of DIA. And as we've been mentioning before, just to be able to pick up the phone, whether you're a campus minister, a theology teacher, a school counselor, or an administrator, to pick up the phone and call two or three people at other schools and just pick their brain about things throughout the school year is, mm-hmm. is a real gift.
1: It really is. And I've taken advantage of that a lot back in my tenure. Well, and if people want to know more about J. Sarah as a school, where can they look on the on the web?
2: Well, jcera.org is our website, and it'll pull up even if you just Google J. It's a unique word. I think it may be the only word in English language that starts with two capital letters. It's one word, capital uh-huh. J-O-S-E-R-R-A, jcera.org, and you can get a lot of information right there, and people are free to email me, too, if there's any questions you have about about what we're doing, or my role, which is really unique. I always tell my boss, Rich Meyer, that if he's going to fire me, please give me at least a three-year head start because there aren't any other positions for me out there. But I'm happy to know schools are starting to see the value of, of a position like this one just to ensure mission effectiveness on campus. So I'd be happy to to talk with anybody. My email is reedy at jsara.org, and it's P-R-E-I-D-Y. That's the Irish spelling of p. reedy at jsara.org.
1: Okay. Well, Patrick Reedy, thank you so much for being with us today. We really appreciate it. I know that the insights that you're sharing in terms of mission, it really does go to the heart and the core of of what we mean by Catholic education. As you said, a mission has the school. The school doesn't have a mission. And I think that's a a great takeaway from today. So thank you again for, for being with us.
2: Thank you, Father. It's a pleasure to be here.
1: And for our audience, if you haven't done it already, please be sure to subscribe to our podcast and you can leave a comment to encourage us toward future programming. I also want to thank our production assistant, Alex Shire, for his work in making this podcast possible.
0: May Almighty God bless you. We'd like to thank you for joining us on this episode of Follow to Lead, a production of the Duke and Altam Schools Collaborative. To learn more about finding your own path in your journey of faith or for more information on what we discussed in today's episode, you are invited to follow us on social media and visit us on the web at diaschools.org. To provide a one-time donation or monthly pledge, please visit our website. Your gift will aid us in providing up-to-date information, additional resources, and other support on how to take Catholic education to a higher level. We look forward to helping you follow God's call to lead others to God right here on Follow to Lead.